of the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, page 826 in our church Bibles, if that would be of some help to you this morning. While you're turning there, just a couple of things. Uh, All spared and Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to begin our studies through the gospel of Mark. So you know, most of you know, we do verse by verse expository preaching. We just got through with Daniel a few weeks ago. We've been kind of, if you would, in no man's land. And so we're here today because I just thought this would be a good text to preach from. No voices or anything like that. So don't be alarmed. (laughs) Okay, Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. This is our key verse this morning. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Brothers and sisters, amen. Let's pray, please, together. and. Ask God for the help that we surely need this morning. Father, as your word is preached and as your grace is given, which we do need now, we would ask that we would magnify our Lord Jesus Christ and put no confidence in ourselves. For Jesus' sake we ask this. Amen. I need a place where I can go to any time, a place of rest and of retreat. But it mustn't be an empty place, a lonely place. That wouldn't be good. I've had too much of that. I need a place with people, a place full of friends, a place where people are happy to see me, maybe even hug me. I need a place where people know what it's like to be insulted, rejected, to be kicked when they are down, and they know what it's like to fail. But... At the same time, I need a place which wants the best for me, which means it will help me change and develop and grow. So, I need a place 
where I am part of and I am loved and I know I belong. Is there such a place? So what I just read to you was actually written by a person on a search. And I'm guessing, in fact, actually I'm certain that the Apostle Paul, if he could reply to that person, he would say something like this. I found that place you're looking for. It's the only place where all these things are true. It's actually a place with the person and his people. And before God, I can tell you the person is the best thing that ever happened to me easily, easily the best thing that's ever happened to me. The place I found is at the foot of my master's cross. And the person who actually found me is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is magnificent. He is incomparable. He's my king. He's my best friend. And he's building a community of people which are becoming just like him. It's called the church. And when they, those people, are in their right mind, verse 14, do you see it there? The Lord Jesus Christ is their only boast. So Paul is writing to churches in Galatia, some of whom think that there's something past the cross of Christ which they need And if they work hard enough, they can achieve. And Paul knows that without a continual focus on the cross of Christ, the churches will not have a gospel-centered strategy. Okay, we get that. But they will also not have a gospel-centered mentality. And therefore, it will not function in the power of God. So the church might still function, still might exist. We understand that. But not on God's power. Let me give you a couple of of verses. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, the gospel, the message of the cross, is the power of God. And so what's happening here is some of the churches in Galatia, they don't have any gospel power. I mean, they're still doing their thing. But there's no gospel power. And so when you think about gospel power, I don't want you to think, you know, gospel power means kicking tail and taking names for Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. And gospel power is not, you know, everything is going smoothly and just the way we like it. That is not gospel power. No, gospel power. And I just invite you to look at the first eight or nine verses there. Gospel power is humility and dependency and honesty. Honesty about what we actually are before a holy God apart from Jesus Christ. And so then, verse one, verse two, it's meekness and it's weakness and it's doing good to everyone. So then that means endurance and fatigue because it's hard to do good to everyone. And joy and satisfaction and all of it because God's power is getting the church low, way low in our living and way low in our thinking in order that our only boast, verse 14, will be in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the cross of Christ answers the most important question that anyone in the world will ever ask. How can a holy God Bring sinful people into his family. That's what it answers. Because there is nothing, listen carefully, there is nothing in us that would incline God to cause us to be converted. Nothing in us on our own secures our eternal destiny. It's all outside of us and it's all Jesus Christ. Hence verse 14 again, our only boast is Jesus Christ. So what we need then, we need the cross, the atonement, to establish the gravity of of our depravity and the depravity of our condition and to reveal our need of 
God's grace. And we need this letter here to help us to become increasingly a church of grace. Because you see, in the churches in Galatia, there was a disease that was spreading. And this kind of disease spread so easily. And it came down to essentially two groups. There was a group who followed Paul's gospel. And there was a group called the Judaizers who had come some kind of concoction of the gospel. Two entirely different ways to know, to live, and understand, and to approach God. And Paul, in this letter, is taking great pains to show how utterly incompatible these two ways of life are, okay? And we can wean it down to legalism and grace. Two different religions trying to exist, if you like, under the same roof. And Paul is saying, that will not work. That will not work. And he's showing them that, and this is important, He's showing them that the reality of their message will be proven in the character of the community it produces. I'll say that again. The the reality of the message, legalism, grace, whatever it is, it's going to be proven in the character of the community it produces, which is why verse 14 is key to this chapter. This is what the character of the gospel produces. You ready? I'll say it way too many times today. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That is what a genuine faith in the one gospel produces. My only boast is Christ living a crucified world, a life towards the world. So, so legalism and, and grace are chalk and cheese. They don't mix. One will exalt the flesh. The other, the gospel, listen carefully, the gospel is meant to flatten our flesh. So again, Paul is showing the churches that the reality of the message will be proven in the character of the, co- of the community it produces. And when you see the difference between a gospel church and a legalistic church, the kind of church you would choose to be, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. So look, if you would, how the chapter opens and closes, both beginning and ending with family. Uh, Verse 1, brothers and sisters. Why do I say that? Because in in the NIV it says brothers, but the better translation is, is brothers and sisters because literally the word is out of the womb. Those of you out of the womb, which would include ladies and gentlemen, right? Brothers and sisters, verse 1. Verse 18, brothers and sisters. In other words, Paul says family, family. So how do we become family? Well, we're all the children of God, Galatians 3.26, through faith in Jesus Christ. We're sons and daughters of Abraham, all of us, Galatians 3.28. So together, all we uh, equal, which is an amazing privilege, which only comes through God's grace, through the gospel, which means there's no depth chart in the church, right? There's no first stringers and bench warmers, right? There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. It's God's family. So let me ask you a question. Do you like your family? Family like your family at home family? Of course you do. I mean, I hope you do. Why do you like it? Well, I can only answer for myself. So uh, it's a safe place. It's a place of equality, even though everybody knows their roles. There's a lot of joy there most of the time. And there's a whole lot of I'm glad to see you. So I wonder if you pick up Paul's little poke at the legalists and their misuse of the law. That would be verse 2. So instead of writing the law of Moses, do you see it there if your Bible's open? Paul writes the law of Christ. And then again in verse 16, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Okay, whose rule? Well, the rule of Christ. So the church is a family formed by God's grace. And that is a genuine gospel community. Because 
and listen carefully, because our obedience to God is not to be the basis of our acceptance with God. I'll say that again. Our obedience to God is not to be the basis of our acceptance with God. And it's not to be the basis of our acceptance with each other. Grace is. Grace is. Takes us right to our first point, gospel community, grace. Verse 1, if your Bible's open, you'll see this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. So put yourself on the receiving end of this. You've been caught out. It could be anything, a theft, a lie, a fraud, fornication. Uh, maybe you were overheard saying something that was really, really bad doesn't matter what it is what matters is is that there's evidence there and you can't deny it okay so what would you hope for next would you pretend that it never happened but it did happen and you were caught Paul would say would it not be amazing to find people who could and would follow the law of Christ and restore you gently in fact the Greek phrase here translate In the spirit of the spirit, Holy Spirit, mildness. By implication, humility and meekness. In other words, what Paul is saying, this is the divine approach. This is how our Heavenly Father would treat His adopted children. So if you were the one who, you know, at least for that week, you could claim the moral high ground, would you respond as you were told? Or would you throw the book at them? Worse, Would you throw God's book at them? Now, I don't want you to be mistaken here. This is not a kind of like anything goes or this is not do whatever you like. This is cool with Jesus. This is not what Paul's saying. Sinclair Ferguson, you don't become a master musician by playing as you please, imagining that learning the scales is sheer legalism and bondage. I mean, you understand what he's saying? It's like, okay, there's a music sheet there for a reason. The law of God's there for a reason. So Paul is in writing, for example, in chapter 5, that there's still such a thing as sin, and there's still such a thing as guilt for that sin, and we still must resist sin, we must fight it. But here in chapter 6, he's saying, since we all sin, his concern now is with what we do when that sin has been discovered. So he says, this is the law of Christ. Restore them gently. In other words, and this is this restore in the Greek, fit them back into the family tenderly. It's a beautiful thought. It implies both change and help. Will you forgive me? This story just pops in my mind. When our daughter was little and we would have to, you know, discipline her. (laughs) I remember that I would... (laughs) The early days, I'd say it like this. I would always take the discipline for her. So whatever it was, I explained to her what it was in her little eyes, you know, and she didn't probably understand half of what I was saying. But I would say, Dad's going to take this one for you. That's what Paul has in mind here. We're all in the same boat. And the roles can be so easily reversed. So Paul says, if you have the Spirit, that's going to differ profoundly by those who are driven by their own understanding of the law because the dirty little secret is 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 that they use the law by misusing the law. And they don't follow the law of Christ. Am I the only one that sees this? 
I see it in preachers, and I see it in politicians, many. Whenever they take a really hard line on some moral issue, whatever it is, and they're kind of like mean with it, so often they are eventually caught out. So there's a girl on the side, there's a guy on the side, there's some gold on the side, and none of it is theirs. None of it is theirs. Grace says, gently, Grace says, there but by the grace of God go I. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Or do you think that, that we are the byproduct of a great number of terrific decisions and we just can't stop making those terrific decisions? By golly. I read of a story of two pastors. They're on their way to meet a person in the church who'd just blown it big time. It was more like a great number of blown moments into one big blown moment. And the one pastor asked the other, do you think you could ever find yourself in this man's position? The guy replied, the other pastor replied, uh, I don't think so. In fact, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty sure I, I, I would never do what he did. So the pastor replies, well, in that case, I think it's best if you go home and I go by myself. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. In dealing with sinners, we must walk humbly with our God. We must come down from all the lofty places and feel a deep and tender pity towards them. Our hands may burn when we block them from the fire, but let them burn. Let them burn. You see, a legalistic community will allow no room for failure. It's, it's Christianized Darwinism. It's sink or it's swim. It's you keep the standard that we create, whatever our top ten issues are, moral issues are, whatever they are, you keep it or you're out. In other words, and you've probably heard this before, don't embarrass your family. Don't embarrass your family. And Paul says, if you're going to go down that line, it's a create a, it will create a community of, of verses 3 and 4. Right? You see that there? And so the one with the inflated ego who thinks they are something will make these endless comparisons with others in the life of the church. And that is the fast track to hypocrisy or despair or maybe even both. So listen, when we are tempted to compare ourselves with each other, especially when we fall, because we will fall, right? We will fail. We all straight there. Not easy to say, but we will fail. Paul says that is exactly the time when you need your brothers and you need your sisters in Christ. So if you were here probably last year when we went through Romans 5 and we talked about original sin, and remember we said, parents, that we can't discipline original sin out of our kids and we said that we then, that means that we shouldn't be surprised of our sin and we shouldn't be surprised of the sin of others because God's not surprised with our sin. And if we're surprised by the sins of others, we'll be unable to minister to them effectively. We won't be able to do, verse 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Because verse 2 says, in effect, you treat other people as Christ treated you. What did he do? Well, did Christ take sin seriously? Of course he did. But how did he restore? By taking that very sin in his body on the tree. That's how he does things. 
So if you like, he treats sin seriously by carrying the burden himself and he puts it on himself so he shows empathy. And the word empathy means that he fuses his perfection with our sinfulness and he holds it for us on the cross. That's the idea that Paul's trying to give it. We've got a brother or sister who's failed and so we, we fuse ourselves. We empathize with them. We carry their burdens. That's a community of grace. A community of grace does not shoot their wounded. Right? We don't shoot our wounded. The spirit-filled church would never do that. We look out for one another. For if we have, and this is the bad part, if we have an overinflated view of ourselves, then the church body will mean very little to us. And so we're just using the church to blow off steam or to boost our ego. That's verse 3. If anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Verse 4b, no need for comparisons. Which is to say, not that we are worthless, that's not true, but our worth is not to be derived from attempts to be spiritual or holy or making comparisons with others. No, Paul says all that's going to do is puff you up and you're going to deceive yourself. So, so then it's not a matter of our self-worth. But it's a value, or it's a matter, if you would, of our wealth and worth with Christ. Christ's worth instead of self-worth. Christ's worth because Jesus knows exactly what we are. That's why he died for us. And Jesus loves us still, which is why he wanted to die for us. And when you really, really understand that, that can be very liberating and one of the things it will do, it'll stop the comparison game that you might play in your head, right? So whatever scale we use, the righteousness scale in the body, the wealth rankings, the beauty index, the house rankings, the child rankings, the popularity charts, whatever it is in the life of the church, they are worthless and they are pointless. And if we, if we are tempted to think that way, where we rate people and we think something like, okay, well, they must be doing something more correct than I am, or Jesus, you know, I hate to say it, but he might love them more than me. If we say that, we mock what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus took you as you were. He is transforming you into what he would like you to be. That means when whatever other people think of me and whoever compares me, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Even if you do it to yourself. Verse 2, verse 6 tells us, guard each other. I take responsibility for myself, verse 6, and I carry other people's burdens when they need me to, verse 2. That's a gospel community. That's grace. Second one, gospel seeds, seeds of love. So the balance of helping ourselves and helping others is seen in the illustration Paul gives in verse 7 of farming. It's one of his favorite ways to make illustrations. Farmer knows the harvest is based on what we plant, right? Isn't that true? Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. 
A person reaps what he sows. Now, oftentimes, this text is yanked from its context, and it's the kaboom verse, right? You sinners, you're reaping bad things. Kaboom. I said the first service, I'll say it again. I can remember sitting in where you're sitting when I was a kid, and the pastor would rip out this verse. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. And here I was, you know, a little 11-year-old sinner, and I couldn't get that through my mind, and I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, the years are going to be tough, <laughs> Think about the context. What is the context here? Are you going to be a gospel church? Are you going to be a legalistic church? That's the context. So you see, the legalist in the end is the deceiver. Because a legalist has to claim, by golly, or at least give the impression that they are holy Joe. That they're keeping everything perfectly with God. They never sow bad seed. But what do we know? Paul will tell us that's impossible. And to claim or give, you know, the high holy impression that you are doing so, that mocks God. They mock God by their deception. And God won't be mocked. John Grisham from the middle of the 20th century, a low view of law leads to legalism in religion. Low view of law, you got your 10 or 15 uh, uh, sins that you never commit, you know, a great job, but there's a billion others that you never think about. A low view of law leads to legalism in religion. A high view makes one a seeker after grace. The solution to sin is not to inflict an ever-increasing code of behavior. Rather, the solution to sin is to know God through His only Son, Jesus Christ. And loved ones, when you know God through his only son, Jesus Christ, that changes everything. Everything. Especially our attitude towards doing good. Because you'll notice, if you look, in fact, you could go home and read the whole chapter in, what, what, 15 minutes? Paul gives this much gospel, and he gives that much moral instruction. So Paul's not always writing on their copy sheet, you could do better, you can do better. That's the way of the legalist. No, he's writing to Christians who have been given their righteousness through Jesus Christ and he tells them in light of that, sow seeds of righteousness, of goodness, verse 8, which will please the Spirit. Okay, so whoever sows to please themselves, to please the flesh, legalist, okay, so so I'm going to be good because I like the way I feel when I'm good. I'm going to be good because I want to move up God's depth chart. They mock grace, and that brings destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So, so let me ask you a question in verse 8. Do we, do we receive eternal life through good works? No. So don't you love this? Paul, Paul's appeal for holiness is not because we'll feel better about ourselves or not because we'll move up uh, God's depth chart, but verse 8, to please the Spirit. That's our core. That's our focus point, to please God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why I want to be good. So this then is an obedience which does not derive itself from, from any kind of insecurity, but rather pure love for Jesus. We sing this song here a lot. My Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. Check. Got it. For you, for you, Jesus, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. When's the now? The now is when we say no to sin because we love Jesus. 
And you see, <laughs> that's beautiful. And that's grace. As opposed to, listen to Christopher Ash. when we sin, we are more vexed at the lowering of our self-esteem than we are at grieving Jesus Christ. We are surprised at ourselves and we're irritated of our lack of self-control and subjecting ourselves to unworthy habits. The first cause of this is self-love, which is unable to stand the disappointments of not seeing ourselves in times of trial come out beautiful, erect, and admirable. So you see, Jesus knows us and he still loves us and it's to be the same in Jesus' church. But if we're not trusting Jesus, if we're seeking to relate to him through some kind of legalistic righteousness, then that nature, verse 8, whoever sows to please their sinful nature that way, from that they reap destruction. In fact, the word destruction that's translated in IV, it's better translated, you will rot. You will decay. So as you move along in years with Jesus... This is just rot. So if you ask Paul, okay, Paul, what's the sinful nature that you're talking about in verse 8? He would say, listen carefully, it's legalistic righteousness. Legalistic righteousness. The law of Moses is just fine if we use it the right way. It's God-given. But we misuse it when we use it for our righteousness. And when we do that, we mock God, we sow bad seed, and what we do, we seriously demote what sin actually is to God, and equally we seriously demote what Christ performed for us by his suffering and death on the cross. And so we live not like Christ is our only boast, but it's like it kind of matters, cross, but it really doesn't matter. You know, wink, wink. I listened to a podcast two Mondays ago which said only 30% of Britons say right now that their faith or religion is important to them. And so one of the speakers said, see, our moral character isn't getting worse. It's actually getting better in light of that. So he brought some data and he said, this is the first generation where alcohol use is going down and drug use is going down. The number of nightclubs, you know, whatever this means is going down. Crime is down. So he says, it's, it's impossible to say that the collapse of religion has led to a general decay in society. That's what he said. But there was another guy who spoke up and he said, listen, morality is not the same as religion. And he was a Christian. So he was saying, morality is not the same as Christianity. So you see, he probably read Galatians 6. But the man, man's rebuttal is, faith may be collapsing, but morals are not. In other words, you know what? I guess we don't really need the cross of Christ. After all, we're better at being good than we ever have been before. Listen to your Bible. Romans 10, 3. Since, this is the Jewish people, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness, you know, no more nightclubs and no more drinking and, and no more drugs and crime is down. They tried to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the conclusion of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Not achieves, believes. So if we think that our obedience will put us and keep us in the right with God, Paul would say you devalue sin, you devalue the cross, and in that you mock God. 
You'll never be good enough for God. So this is the irony. The legalist is trying to please God by obeying God's law, but they're only really trying to do it because they're doing it for themselves, promotion, relationship stuff, and that, says Paul, will lead to destruction. That's not how you please the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel, again, the gospel is not verse 8, is it? I hope it's not. Therefore, God is not deceived by false appearances. And if you could think you can outplay God, you deceive yourself. Hence, verse 9, keep being gospel good. Because that's the contest. Let us not become weary in doing good. Okay, what kind of good? Well, verses 1 through 6, good. That's the context. Because at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't get up. So as you have the opportunity, let's do good to all people. Okay, not just people inside, but all people. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. So we know how hard it is to wait. Farmers probably best of all. Seeds planted, will they ever grow? Paul says, you keep sowing those good works of verses 1 to 6 as a result of the Spirit's work in you. And Paul says, you don't tire and you don't give up. You, you do any kind of good to any type of person. In the name of Christ. That's what it means to be uh, pleasing to the Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit. Do any kind of good to any kind of person, not for show, not for glow, you know, but for Jesus. Do good because it is good. Now think on that. Do good because it is good to everybody. To everybody. So this is a good which carries the burdens of everybody and shows grace to people, no matter if they're in Christ or outside of Christ. Yet we've grown up, just it's kind of, we're kind of used to, why isn't anybody saying all the bad stuff about the people out there? I mean, I have a relative who sends me texts, when are the preachers going to stand up about this? And when are the preachers going to stand up about that? Well, let me stand up. This is what it says. Uh, Titus 3, 2, show true humility towards all humanity. And as far as it's possible, you be good. Two, the rich, the poor, the nice, the mean, the grumpy, the showy, the young, the old, Muslim, Buddhist, whoever. Generous, free, giving. And that pleases the Father because it shows us that <laughs> this is how you were saved. It was God's mercy and grace. And then God says, now you show that same mercy and grace, not only to people inside, but to the people outside. The logic is so simple. If we're really, really good for the right reasons to anyone, then it becomes harder and harder for men and women to consciously reject Jesus Christ because of our behavior. Say that again. If we're really, really good for the right reasons to anyone, then it becomes harder and harder for men and women to reject Jesus Christ in conscience because of our behavior. Listen to Jesus. Uh, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Good <laughs> to anyone because that's God. That's God. Final point, gospel boast. This will be quick. Okay, how does Paul conclude? Well, the first thing he does, verse 11, he takes the pen out of the scribe's hand. And he's like, now I'm writing with large letters, all caps. 
And so here is the final analysis between the people of grace, people filled with the Spirit, and the legalists. Verse 12. The legalists, they do religious things, but they do it to conform and to make a good impression. Not for God's glory, but for their own glory. They want people to see. And yet, verse 12 tells me that there's a point where they will cease. And here it is. The only reason, verse 12, why they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Answer this question. Is it easier to be a moralist or an evangelist? Is it easier to do good stuff or to sit down with a person and have a Coke and a smile and say, let me tell you about the most important person in my life. We know the answer to that. We know the answer. The cross offends. Yes, the cross costs and the legalist is unwilling to pay that cost. And the cross screams then, you can't get to God on your own. Your own. Verse 13, the legalist is playing that little con game. And the older you get, the easier it is to play it. This is great, great, great. I'm keeping all the law. Great. Cross removes pride. And the cross... It it silences us except for one thing. One thing. The one thing that we can say. Verse 14. It's Paul's clarion call. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's all I got. It's all I got. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, that's the only path that God offers. Which is why the only thing counts, verse 15, is becoming a new creation. Again, how did we become new creations? God's grace. Only God can make dead sinners alive saints. And so this is so life-altering. Verse 17, Paul says, even if it means bearing in his body the marks of Jesus, the marks of the gospel. We know Paul's body, his back, which have scars and, and whips and lash marks. And he probably, at this time, probably has a little bit of a hump to his back, just so beaten down so much for Jesus. But Paul would say, you know, I, I, I need no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. So it's okay. All this persecution, it's okay because it's Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. So here's the deal. If you want a church body which can recognize sin as it really is, but at the same time treat people well by gentle restoration, if you want a church body where burdens are shared and you can just let it out and not be worried about the ramifications of that and people will lift you up when you fall down, if you want a community that is free from hypocrisy and, and does good to the insider, yeah, but to the outsider as well and welcomes everyone, Paul would say there's only one possible path. It's the way of Christ. It's the way of the cross. And when we actually understand Christ, then we'll actually understand the cross. And when we actually understand the cross and why it had to come, then it'll be easy, easy for us to make the Lord Jesus Christ our only boast. Our only boast. A quote from John Newton, and then we're done. To know Jesus is the shortest description of true grace. To know him better is the surest mark of growth in grace. And to know him perfectly 
That's eternal life. And so we long for that day to come. Let's pray together, please, and thank you for your attention this morning. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for what we sang and what we said because this whole day, Father, was saturated with gospel truth. And so we pray for the grace as your people, as a local church, to be a church filled with grace and to be a church that fights legalism with every ounce of strength so that at the end of every Sunday and at the beginning of every Monday, our only boast would be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified to the world because the world's been crucified to us and that by his grace. Now, Father, would you please bless this congregation? People have plans today, as you know, nice things to do together as families in light of the holiday. May your blessing, your peace, your provision, and your joy be theirs in in unmeasurable ways. For your glory, God, we ask these things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.